I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. You are now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast, hosted by Danny DiCchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Well, hello there, football fans, and look who is back. Not us, you. Look, it's the audience that we let down so badly. (laughs) This is Footy Prime, the podcast, or the Footy Prime podcast. We'll, We'll figure it out. As, as we go along, it's a work in progress, but thank you for joining us. Um, to my right, this guy right here is a man who we once saw Andy Cole reel away in celebration five times in one game. In one game. That's a nice introduction. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. He also like, single-handedly won Canada. It's only trophy in football, so yeah, we'll give him that as had well. Had my moments. Had his moments. Craig Forrest. Beside him, the bald dude who's growing a beard. Love a nice beard, by the way. Not too much grey. Yeah, it's good or to see. now I'm not on TV anymore. I can grow up here. <laughs> He's a man who uh, adorns Toronto FC's wall of honour after almost almost two years as a player. <laughs> <laughs> it's Danny Dickio. Deej? Hello. Craig? Missed you guys. Missed we got, you guys we got too. To find yeah. out. We've got to find out an introduction for Shams now as well, Craig. Yeah, I'm no one. Exactly. I'm Mr. Some Nobody. Dirt. Let's dig some dirt yeah. on We'll get something. I'm so boring. Yeah. Phone <laughs> the, the Ukrainians. <laughs> But this should be uh, a lot of fun. It's going to be—I hate to say—real talk. That's a cliche, but you know, uncensored football talk. Um, the elephant in the room, of course, is the fact that we are no longer on network TV, at least for the time being. Huh? Hint, hint. Nod, nod. <laughs> Who, who's watching? Who's listening? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah, please, dear God, got to pay a mortgage somehow. Um, but you know, there, there were many good years at Sportsnet, um, but the, the sports media landscape is changing. Every day, it's almost like the Wild West out there right now. And mm. properties come, properties go. It comes down to financial decisions. Um, and at the moment, we're no longer there. But we thank you for joining us on this new project. Yeah, I you know it's uh, it is great. Uh, I mean, from the TV landscape, obviously, there's a massive changes going on uh, for cable television for the movement of sports, uh, different platforms that they're on, and uh, where is that all going? I mean, for I just think about the growth of the game um, from Canada's standpoint. Um, how do we, as a sport, maneuver our way through all these different platforms to continue the growth of the game, which is uh, people aren't going to stumble upon it if it's behind a paywall. So how do we, uh, as a sport, again, uh, make it better and uh, make it more accessible uh, to to the general public, and uh, we'll try our best to, to sort of fill that gap a little bit. But uh, there's some good things going on with platforms. I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves. The zone is a um, 
by you know just by definition by the actual group and the the Netflix of sports it, it makes sense um, are people getting the consumer getting everything that they want from it is it working properly these are all other questions but um, certainly it's a it's a different world we live in yeah I, I agree with you I think it's the accessibility Craig and I go back to like this country that I've been in for 12 years now that I love living in uh, not having live football on TV for the, the average Joe to, to just, as you said, stumble upon or just to watch with his regular weekend. Look, I go back to my dad. My dad's like 70 years old now and he loves turning on his TV. He knows which channel to turn on to. And now you're kind of asking him to log on to a website or to stream a certain site for him to watch his favourite team, whether it be AC Milan or QPR, who are not on TV much anymore, but... <laughs> I just feel we've let kind of the older crew of football fans down, but also the new wave of football fanatics coming through because not everyone can afford to pay a monthly subscription. Not everyone has the time as well to... to maybe watch games on streams. Although, although I think young kids nowadays, I mean, and this is the issue too, right, is they, they find their feed somehow without paying for it. Piracy yes. is such an enormous problem for a good point. mainstream you know, broadcasters. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, a lot of the reason why we're seeing the changes now. How do you uh, monetize sports nowadays? It's, it's changed so much. Um, but I don't know. I, I think this evolution to streaming, it's not going away. It's the future. Um, conventional TV is changing. And... Mm-hmm. Five years from now, we won't recognize TV even yeah. now, right? I don't you know, think. and when this all, the trickle-down effect of what this is happening, we'll see it in every sport in North America, whether that's the National Hockey League, NBA, or the Premier League, um, that the rights will go down. Um, if people are feeling that they can't pay these amounts of monies for, for rights to show the product and they can't get their money back for it, that's going to eventually cost the athletes and the players playing in all these leagues too. Whether we like it or not, these leagues have to help that sort of thing as far as pirating goes. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be very difficult for people to get their money back on a big, big deal. Like like the hockey deal is a good example. Sportsnet, $5 billion deal over 12 years. Um, primarily, that's why a lot of it's, uh, a lot of changes have happened at Sportsnet, Rogers, because of the fact that they've got themselves in a deep, deep position with this uh, hockey deal that they're trying to figure out how to make as much money back as they can. Yeah, precisely. So, yeah, it's an evolving... Uh, oh, as our studio falls apart here. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an evolving industry. We'll see what happens. But, you know, part of the reason why we're doing this, you know, it's something we've been planning to do for a couple of years now. We, we were prevented from doing it before. Now, we're obviously, we're, we're free. We're unshackled. Mm. We can do it. But, you know, with, with less... Um, you know, the zone. Listen, doing a fine job and everything, but there isn't that much analysis beyond the games itself, right? So yeah. this allows us to, to, you know, visit the storylines, the hot topics uh, each week on a Monday. It won't be a typical podcast. Listen, if you want to hear, you know, breakdowns of, of each game, there's some brilliant podcasts out there, yeah. right? You know, they're, they're fantastic. We're not doing that. We will be selfish. We'll pick topics that that come to our minds each weekend, and we'll just have a chat about it. Various segments, uh, interviews each week as well. Um, and as we kind of mentioned before about, you know, paying mortgages, if you want to sponsor us, uh, go right ahead. You know, we, we, we are sellouts. We are such sellouts. You, you are know. the biggest sellout. I will, wear, I will be like an F1 race car driver if you want. Happy to wear whatever an, you want. I'm going to get advertisement sticker for your forehead because you've got a massive forehead. <laughs> hey, not as big as yours though, is it, eh? Jesus, put on the kettle black head. there, okay. eh? Jesus. Thanks. You were yeah. throwing ends in you your arms. You've called a helmet head before. 
<laughs> Remember, I played at Cardiff. They absolutely hammered me there. <laughs> played New everywhere. You guys. <laughs> get off my train. <laughs> All right, well, listen, let's get to some football talk, shall we? Um, as we, um, the timing is, uh, Man United Arsenal is later today. So there's every chance that by the time you hear this, um, this game is finished. We hope that United lose. Um, I can finally say that without giving a crap <laughs> about what I might hear from my bosses. Uh, simply because, well, a few reasons, but simply because um, I love a good crisis. I think a good crisis is good for the game. And United, you had your 20 years of fun, but they are on the verge of a crisis. They're not there yet, I, I don't yeah. think. Maybe they are, but um, I think it's a little bit early for that. Um, I hope Ole Gunnar actually does succeed because I like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, mm. but there's some big issues there. But Arsenal, obviously, issues too. As footballers, who would you rather play for at the moment, United or Arsenal? Ooh, that's a really tough one. Uh, I mean, you're right about crisis. Uh, Manchester United, there's a lot of fans that have been United fans that have never been through something like this, you know, going through mm-hmm. the late 90s, 80s. You know, just a terrific uh, spell with Alex uh, Ferguson, which was just incredible. And I, I was on the brunt of a few of those games myself. But um, United is a massive club. I think if I was going to choose between the two, I, I you know, the history, uh, obviously Arsenal has one too. Um, but uh, I think eventually Manchester United will get it right. But uh, it's hard, you know, to change and to be successful um, with the squad that they have at the moment when you look at Man City and Liverpool and they're just so far ahead. Yeah, I think it's, it's not going to be any time soon where we're going to see United contending for titles. Uh, I really don't. I think this is not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault. This is um, the higher-ups at the club that have not, directed the club in the right way and I don't know if that's from the Glazers actually spending money um, the wrong way or Mm. bringing in the wrong coaches uh, at a select time maybe giving Alex Ferguson too much say within running the club because he's he's such a a prominent figure at that uh, at that club and Manchester United let's not get away from the fact are in the top three biggest clubs in the world even though they're not competing at the moment their fan base and what they've kind of done over the last 20 or so years has been incredible. I think Arsenal are a totally different club. Like I have family that, that support Arsenal. I've got a lot of Arsenal um, running through my family and I've got a soft spot for them. Um, they're a club going through transition. They had another prominent figure at their club for many, many years who was very successful, bought a philosophy of of style to the football club was successful during that time but maybe maybe they hang uh, hung on to Wenger for far too long as well mm-hmm. Craig where they needed to possibly change things around move him up to a, a director we spoke on the show about this numerous times that he could have moved on a little bit earlier to maybe go through this transition at an earlier stage as well because I think Emery is a good coach I really like his mm-hmm. his tactical approach to games I think he's still struggling with the language barrier he's he's openly come out with that um, I still think they're a little bit disorganised uh, I mean they've only just found a captain in Jaka this week which yeah was, a player vote right and yeah, now well, in North America that's not a big deal a lot of teams have player votes of captains but there's a lot of um, controversy about is that the right thing to do in football did you vote for captains when you played or was it just given by the coach, you are the man with the armband. Yeah, normally. Mm. And, and also, it, it wasn't something that, uh, quite honestly, people thought an awful lot about. Did you think about like who was the captain no. on the team? I mean, you, you led by example, everybody, and in, in some of the best people that led by example. 
yep. weren't captains. Yep. It's, I mean, it's totally different over here. We, we know that in, in the sports of, of North America. But in England, it was never kind of thought of. You kind of either joined a club or a team, and there was already someone in place. Uh, a guy that had been at that club for a long, long time. Um, an experienced guy that knew not only the club, but the community and the yeah. values of what being a captain was. But more often than not, the staff chose uh, a captain that was a leader not only on on the pitch but also in the locker room and within that group when they were kind of socializing off the field as well he was kind of the caretaker the daddy that looked after the younger guys but also had the respect of the older guys as well so I think it's a very strange appointment from Emery in letting the players have the autonomy to pick someone like Xhaka and let's not forget as well Xhaka is not a favorite player of uh 60 to 70 percent of Arsenal fans. It's been a poor signing so far, mm. and, and when he came over, I think a lot of people thought, This is great, this is a young, dynamic yeah. leader, you know, um, has a real uh, substance to him on the field and off the field, but it hasn't worked out for him. He's almost like he tries too hard. Yeah, yeah, but it just shows you how much Arsenal are going through this transition still, where they can't find a captain, a leader, someone that we've been speaking again about on the show. I keep going ten back years. to the show for 10 years, yeah. not having that Vieira, not having that Manuel Petit, not having that. Even earlier, Tony Adams, the Stevie Bolds, someone that brought, whether you're a foreign player coming in or a youngster coming through the ranks, brought that team spirit, to, that togetherness that made them successful. But those, those guys you mentioned all had that element of fear with them too, right? Do you think modern players will, will answer to a captain who, who's that fiery? The, the, I mean, Roy Keane's the extreme example, right? But yeah. even a Vieira, I mean, this is a pretty intimidating character, mm. right? I think, I think in the... In, one of the most important things when you're you're recruiting these types of players too in Arsenal do it on the back of you know they're great technical players they develop really good young players that's what they're sort of after they you know Wenger left a philosophy of play that um that the club is it will stand by um but the character of the very best players in the world that can consistently do it at the highest level Game in, game out, week in, week out. Like the Roy Keynes, which just, just crazy uh, leadership every single game, never takes a day off. That's another element of a player that makes the difference between a good and great player. And I think that Arsenal have struggled to find that great, great world-class player that has all those different things as well as character. Well, having said all this, um, Arsenal's probably going to win 5-0 today. Or, or, or United win 6-0 <laughs> sure. and all this is nonsense because the crisis is over. And, and they're no, fine, Arsenal but, uh... have a terrible away <laughs> record against like top six teams. I don't think they've beaten a top six team in their last 23 like appearances against when, when top was that? six. Remember the 8-2 result against United? When was that? Oh. But right. when we go back, like there's been some unbelievable clashes with Arsenal and Manchester United over the years. When oh, yeah. we're going back to like the Keown Van Nistelrooy incident, yeah. Pizza Gate, King, Pizza Gate. I just feel it's lost right. that kind of edge about it, and, yeah. and many games have lost their edge about. It. Like the Merseyside derby is not as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you, if you got a whole bunch was. of locals are in the team, but now the foreign influence too. Yeah. The players True. aren't. Damn thinking. foreigners ruin everything, right? Yeah, they Jesus. do. <laughs> they do. They really do, you know. And now nowadays, you can't go over the ball with two feet. Oh, it's wrong. It's dangerous. You know? <laughs> All this, you know, the good old fashioned uh, tackles and violent play on the field are killing yeah. derbies. Yeah. They really are. Um, you know, Troy Deeney is, has been considered a great captain, right, of Watford. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, he hasn't played that much this year through injury and that, but his team's in. Uh, the mire, shall we say, coming off that loss last week, 8-0 to City. We all had our eyes on this match against Wolves this weekend. How would Watford respond? Yeah, um, They lost 2-0. 
So it's another loss. Um, they are dead last in the table, just two points. Um, they, they fired Harvey Gracia. In comes Kike again. Kike. As you say, Beach. Kike. 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 A- again. Um, and he hasn't started very well. But I want to talk about teams, how they respond from massive, massive smashings. And it's perfect because we've got a record setter in the studio here. Got, uh, <laughs> got a record for something. Still, still holds a record for most goals conceded in a Premier League game. Of course, yeah. 9-0 Ipswich United back in 94-95, Craig. Mm-hmm. Now, I was actually uh, a bit unfair on you when I said that Andy Cole scored five in one game. It's actually five in 65 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? It was, yeah, 65 minutes. Um, now, your, your next, actually, it's funny, I, I Wikipedia, this, this, this game actually, the 9 0, has its own Wikipedia entry. Is it, does it really? It does, yeah. And it's not something I visit very often. <laughs> no, I, I can imagine. Now, the, the, the last sentence in that entry was uh, the last sentence is Ipswich goalkeeper Forrest went on to concede a further seven goals against Manchester United, playing for West Ham in a 7 1 defeat yeah. in April 2. We that, scored first, it was 1 0. <laughs> we made him really angry. You should have, you should have subbed out then, Craig. Oh. <laughs> Do I wish people say over in North America too? They'll also talk about you know why why didn't they substitute you? They'll, they'll pull the goalie in the well, it wasn't your NHL. Fault. Would you but you never do that, that in football, do you? Hold you on, no. hold on. We got to talk about the tactics before the Man United game. Uh, was it it Man George United? Burley? What George Burley said, like because he, he said we they won't expect us to attack. <laughs> It was 4-0 after 20 minutes. Let's get out of Yeah. And we're squeezing up at the halfway. Frank Yallop, not the, you know, he's actually quite fast, but not like gigsy fast. Right? <laughs> so it was breakaway after breakaway. And then at halftime, we didn't change anything. We didn't just say, let's keep it at five, keep going six. Yeah, we're putting guys we up. We can get free. this back, lads. Yeah, they were chasing goal differential too, right? So the difference between the City Watford game, I think if they really, if they had to win 12 0, I think they would have. Really? So they, they took the foot off the gas? They did because, I mean, yeah. 9 <laughs> 0. Well, I mean, you usually get that. You get 3 4 up. The last thing in this part of the season you want is injuries. Yeah. So you just sort of see it out. You know, if you score, fine, move the ball around. But Manchester at that time were, if they were tied with Blackburn, they were quite a ways behind on goal differential. So they, they tried to catch up. Very, very, and they did very quickly. What was the yeah. mindset of the team as it went on? I mean, obviously, 4 0, 5 0. I mean, you can only imagine, but what was the mentality as a group to begin with of that team, and how, how did you just fall apart? Well, at that part of the season, it was getting later in the season. We were pretty much lambs to the slaughter. It was, it's different than Watford earlier in the season. They just came off a result against um, uh, Arsenal where they created, I think, two, two, yeah. Yeah, 31 two, two, two. shots or something. So they're, they're a much better side. Technically and mentally than we are, especially at the start of the season. Now, if this continues for Watford and they end up getting hammered week in, week out, and it gets to the end of the season, you'll see very difficult for the players at that stage that have absolutely been beaten and they're just, they really are, have lost themselves and lost their way. And uh, it, it became very difficult for us. Uh, we played Tottenham the next game against Klinsman away. And I think that was 2 0 early and Klinsman scored. And I thought. I, he scored I, in the I, second minute. He scored, right. So now I'm thinking, here what we go thinking? again. It's going to be nine nil yeah. again, right? Jesus, I, so thought, I, I actually thought about booking a hamstring in. <laughs> so what you're saying at Old Trafford, half of your team basically had their flip flops on already. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, after that that Spurs yeah. game, three nil, right? Then you lost to Norwich, three nil. Yeah, right. Oh, and then did. then one nil to Villa, and then four nil to Leeds. Oh yeah, we didn't score a goal Jesus. for weeks. And, and then then one nil to QPR. Oh, right, close one. And then four one to Arsenal. And then April 17th, you tied 
tied West Ham one one. So. Oh yeah, good old hammers. Gee, I mean, I mean that's that... what Nick Craig, that's what Nicky's moved to, to West Ham. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but these, I mean, people look at the goalkeeper, right? Right. This yeah. goes beyond the goalkeeper. All right. The team broke, didn't they? Well, if they do their jobs properly, you shouldn't get a shot. Hold on a minute as well. If we go back to that game, the, the Old Trafford game, I think if you watch the highlights as well, it was 9-0. I'm not making the, the big fella's head even better. It could have been like 12. He pulled off Had a great or, game. three or four unbelievable saves. But the highlight well. package would be so long because with all the shots and goals, they didn't have time to show any saves. Even the 7 0. They wouldn't show it on Sports I Center now. They never showed that. Did, did no. you come off the field thinking, you. Bastards! I had a good game there. No. <laughs> <laughs> How can you I have a you, good game, I thought, you, I thought you, you guys did not say yeah. the penalty. You, you know what the best part about it was? I, I stopped looking at the score, and when I walked off the field, I uh, actually thought it was ten. You thought it was ten? Oh yeah, I absolutely positive it was ten. I lost absolute count. Yeah. And uh, so on the bright side. I was actually quite happy they didn't hit double figures. What What was the mood of the Man United players at the time? Were they, were they like giggling or were they oh, bubbly? Oh, yeah. I remember Graham Paul, the, uh, the, the referee. referee. yeah. I he, hated he, that he was He was like naked gun. He was, like Leslie, like, he was like Leslie Nielsen every time they scored. <laughs> Other than taking his shirt off and running around like Casey. <laughs> he was, he was right celebrating with him. Oh, yeah. He was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks, Graham. Yeah, <laughs> he was a beauty. What was, yeah. the, what was the room like post-match? Just dour? Or was it like, man, we're going to go down in history? No, we didn't say anything. There was absolutely zero said. It's yeah. interesting to note as well, speaking about Watford, Kike Flores this weekend. So normally after after a game on a Saturday, Monday is normally your video nightmare. Like they yeah. bring the players in before training and they'll go over the good parts, the bad parts of what went on on that weekend. The, the clips would have been made for certain players. The team meeting would have happened. He said after the Watford game against Man City, there was no video. He said that the worst thing I could have shown to those players at that time was a, a video recap of that game. So we had to get on with the week ahead of us. So when did he make that decision? Because you know that the players for the next few days are thinking it's coming. Yeah. And they don't want to have any part of it. They don't yeah. want to see it. They knew what they did. And I think that was the best way to take it. Uh, I mean... How the manager deals with a situation like this is so important. Now, like I said, it's so early in the season, a couple wins by Watford, they can still pull themselves up to mid-table. It's not too late. But how they deal with it, um, taking responsibility, a certain responsibility about how you go about it, um, as well as the players take some responsibility too and just face up to it, move on. quicker the next game comes, the better. Um, but it's Watford. I mean, Kike's thinking, man, I'm going to be canned next week. He's been there for three games. Well, that's <laughs> right? well, that's nature of that that club too, right? And yeah. eventually, that kind of that model, I think, uh, it fails in the end. I, I, it just, but you're right. He could be gone. You, you could be gone at the end of the week yeah. easily because yeah. that's uh, what they do at that club. Now, now when when you're nine nil back in those days, managers weren't quite fired as freely as today. But well, George Birdie had just taken over from John Lyle right. not very long before that. So John Lyle, or George was going to be there for. For the foreseeable, so he was future. assessing his players for the next season. At this yeah, point. exactly. Yeah, they won't expect us to attack because <laughs> <laughs> that year, that year you went down, right? Four teams went down from that season in the Premier League, didn't they? Yeah, they was, did. That's right. They reduced down to twenty teams. That's right. They right. reduced the number of teams. Yeah. Um, it's funny because we we watched 
uh, during our Sportsnet days, and uh, whenever there was a big score in the first half, we'd start yes. going, "Hey up, hey up, could this be the day? This could be it. Hey, this could be it." And Craig, yeah. I wonder though, do you want this thing to be beating this record? You know what? I, sounds, o- I always did want it to be yeah, broken. But now it's, it's a good story. And now, nearly what seventeen years after I retired, it's uh, I get phone calls from the media. So you're that you're that guy. Now. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. So I got a call from the Daily Mail, Kieran Gill, uh, and then another guy, Tom Roddy, from the Times in London. And they're very tentative when they phone you because they're really wondering, first of all, are you going to be really pissed off by this call? But I know what happens even if I'm not even on the phone. It just the messages just start coming through. Well, you text me a message. I think five. Few it's, them, it's five yeah, minutes. Yeah. So you were in the air at the time, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping for you, pass. Or kind of hoping for you. I think, yeah, it'd be kind of cool for Craig to no longer hold, hold this record. But where's the fun in that? Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, what happens when I'm, like, there's a ten nil and I I become second on yeah. the list? Then no one remembers wants... second place. No, exactly. So <laughs> there so, you go. So, so you, you're that guy for big scores. Who are you that guy for? Deech? like violent, yeah, violent play, that kind of stuff. No, when, when there's a leg me. breaker, then you get phone no. calls in the mail and no, no. When someone bites someone, I was a nice player. Didn't you have somebody on the street actually? <laughs> mentioned something about you about hurting somebody yeah we and your can't son go into was there detail was that yeah. a grocery store that was a grocery store Loblaws here yeah someone came up I don't you. know how this fella how we ended up in the same grocery store at the same time but he was like uh, a Villa fan I think it was Villa or Birmingham fan he came up to me and said I remember I was at the game and you ended Nigel Spink's career and I, I, I still to this day can't remember the challenge or anything what happened and he says don't worry, we've been thinking about you for a long, long time. And my son's kind of looking at him. Okay, what, what the hell is he talking about, Dad? <laughs> said, to be quite honest, I don't know. So we kind of had our altercation, told him to go wherever. But still to this day, people Nigel remember. Spink, he was a big man. He was a big man, yeah. Big but man. I still can't remember. He was remember. bigger than Leon Spinks. <laughs> he was. He was. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you must get that a fair amount when you were playing people coming up to you, I suppose. Less so now, obviously, but mm. you know, you lived in Ipswich pretty much your whole career, even when you played at West Ham, right? right? You lived in London a lot of the time, obviously. Then you know, up in the north, northeast there. Yeah. What was the worst place to be approached for by by fans in the street? One hundred percent Sunderland. Yeah. Because you got to remember, London is a massive, massive city. So like, we we could meet someone out on the street today, and I never see them again. You disappear. Got, like, mm-hmm. right. got eighteen million people plus living in in the London area. You've got like six six or so big clubs in the London area as well. Where Sunderland is such a tight little community club, where everyone knows you. We we used to be in Sainsbury's, and people would be following us around, looking what you're putting in your shopping trolley, and. Yeah. We'd be out at certain um, restaurants if I'd be out with my, my missus and people would come and interrupt you during your one-on-one dinner with with your missus. And that was just the passion and kind of love they had for their club. And if things were going well, it's a very, very good club to play for. But as people and players have, have kind of found out over the past few years where Sunderland haven't been successful... The fans will let you know. They have no shame in letting you know mm. because they feel that it is their club. It is their club. I think you know? living in a, in a smaller town, like did you grew up in London, so you knew it yeah. was like there. And then when you move to a smaller place, not that Sunderland is overly small, but it's smaller, obviously. And uh, you're under the microscope even more. So Ipswich being 120,000 or 30,000, whatever, I don't know what the GIA would be in the <laughs> greater Ipswich area, but everywhere you went, um, you're, it was all on top of you. And I didn't actually appreciate what it was like for people 
that played in London until I moved to West Ham. Even though I lived in Ipswich, now all of a sudden you're not under the local microscope right. and, mm. and, live, and playing in there. So I can see why players love London and, uh, and, and like to live there and play there because it's a place where you can go missing. Well, I would say, though, the, the, the clubs where I played where they were smaller towns, the clubs and the teams I played for, we had a much better team spirit than the clubs that I played for in London. And that was because the players all lived in that area. Community driven. The community yeah. it was driven. We used to socialize in that area. We used to socialize as a team because there wasn't much else that you could do. So it was fully focused around yeah. playing for that club, whether it be at Preston North End, where we had a really good team spirit, where at Sunderland, for instance, as well. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that, that period of, of my mm. career. But so it goes both ways, though, right? It, goes I mean, both it can ways. be great when things are going well, but it goes bad, you stay in. Yeah, basically. Just stay in. Yeah. yeah, you made up your decision what you're going to do on a Saturday night by the result. So yeah, at five right. o'clock, you would decide what you're going to do, whether you're going to stay in or, or go out. And rightly so. You're still seeing like, I mean, you look at Lindergaard and people like that at the moment that are on social media, and I think that rubs fans up the wrong way. And there's there's a little bit of yes, they're human, so they have to live their lifestyles. But there's also I think you have to behave as a professional and, and respect the fans and the club. Whether you've just been dubbed 4-0 four, four somewhere or lost at home or drawn at home. The fans don't have a right f- to say what you should be doing with your life, but there's also a little bit of humility to say, okay, I'm going to have a, an easy night in tonight, I'm going to yeah. order a takeaway and just yeah. watch but, a but game But be smart home. about it, right? If, if you, in, in a bad stretch, don't start you know, tweeting about your fashion lines. Exactly. Right? Be, be smart about it. Now, in the player's defense, nowadays most players have to have a Twitter account or a social media profile the clubs tell them they have to yes. to promote the club as well, right? So mm. it's what you do with it. And a lot of these guys uh, have their accounts obviously managed by someone else. Yeah. Someone that doesn't know that United lost to Arsenal 4-0 and then their management team tweeted out from Jesse Lingard's yeah. account, you know, uh, I've got a great new pair of pants I'm selling now. Well, he's gonna be <laughs> right? a, it's not, it's not yeah. always his fault. It looks bad optically, yeah. but be smart about it. You know, control the message. And that's yeah. what yeah. I think There's a lot of people There's a different world. The social media thing is something we didn't have to Could deal with. you imagine? With. No, I couldn't imagine. Could you imagine... Uh, Cameras and phones when, when you guys play. Right, yeah. And then It'll just the a- fact that even if you have a good game, if you go read, read the uh, thread about what's going on, it, it's just coming at you sideways. So yeah. players have to deal with that too. And that's another Did you read element. the papers when you, when you played? Match reports? Of course, yeah. You did, yeah? The next day, that's what you looked at. You, it, it yeah. did not matter how well you played or how bad you played. You kind of... We're looking the next day at the mark, what you would get in the sun or the news of the world or the people, wherever it was, the Sunday papers. And you kind of gravitated to what That's that true. person Player ratings. had given Jesus. you. And you were like, yeah. I thought I was a little bit better than a five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, he's just, he's just randomly just going out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fella probably yeah. didn't even watch the game. But like yeah. you're saying, yeah, Dickie, yeah. yeah, I've got I always five. wonder why if, he, if, he, if I didn't have anything to do in a game, which was, wasn't very often, <laughs> and, and, and I would get a six. Right. And you think, well, I didn't do anything. I don't deserve a 10. Yeah, but you did that really well. But I didn't. Yeah, exactly. You I stood did around. nothing really, really well. Yeah, you applauded. <laughs> had the, uh, yeah, you know, good encouragement to the lads. Oh, that yeah. is Craig Sands. Organized so the corner well. All we had to really deal with was either the wrath of the manager's full-time speech in, in the changing room yeah. to the papers the next day getting a certain grade out of 10. Yeah. But nowadays, like, most players are on Twitter. Most managers are on Twitter now. So they're assessing, looking what the, 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 the trend or the thread is of the game, 
then you're personally getting attacked by away mm. team fans, then your whole team, home team fans if the, the result hasn't gone well. So mm. you have to have a really uh, fixed skin now. And oh, I think, yeah. and the owners the, are watching. And the owners too. are watching. So they get a lot of pressure from from the, the fans. The players are a different breed now. Like you have to be very sensitive to what you're saying. I mean, we, we speak about Chris Wilder and, and Sheffield United's uh, post game talk as well, Sean. But yeah, there's yeah. there's there's a real balance now in in how you portray your message. I think. See, mm. Chris Wilder should be on Twitter. And actually, actually tweeting, he'd yeah. be amazing. He's like your, your straight laced northerner, right? Yeah. Uh, and he'd be amazing. I think out of all the managers in the Premier League, who would I want to hear on Twitter? He might be right up there. I think because yeah. he wouldn't give a shit, right? He'd just say whatever the hell he wants, yeah. whenever he wants, yeah. right? He certainly well speaks off the cuff. Let, let's let's talk about that, shall we? Um, mm-hmm. So this weekend there were actually some some real howlers by goalkeepers, um, but in in the big ones in in the the Spurs game, Loris without that awful one. And then poor old Dean Henderson for United. They played really well apart from those moments, but of course they yes. remember for those moments. But let's hear from uh, from Dean Henderson. Sorry about Dean Henderson from uh, Chris Wilder post match. Uh, let me figure this out. And of course now it's gone. Christ's sakes, we'll get to it. This is called technology, people. We'll get to it eventually. Um, but essentially, he threw his goalkeeper somewhat under the bus and his players after mm. losing 1-0 to, to Liverpool mm. it was a, a frustrating performance of course in the end because he says that the Reds were, were there for the taking you think they really were? Well there were he also said there, there was an off day and he even alluded to the Norwich uh, result against Man City that Man City weren't at their best yeah. Norwich scored on every opportunity three shots three goals and uh, pull off a, a, a massive result was it there for Sheffield United? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they get outplayed, uh, that, that's beside the point. But um, they had the chances and the goalkeeper let a really soft one in. Uh, did they deserve to win? Probably not. But could they have won the game? Absolutely. And those are the games when you have the the best teams in the league, you, you feel disappointed that you, you you let yourself down, that yeah. you didn't take those chances. I, I thought they played fantastically. I really, I really was impressed with them. Um, I thought they had... Really good chances. They limited Liverpool to a certain amount of chances where normally Liverpool run over teams with, with the attack that they have. And it was interesting what he said. He said, look, we could go toe-to-toe with Chef, uh, with Liverpool and we would have got opened up like you don't know. But we organised ourselves with a structure in a way where we would still hurt them but try and limit their, their chances on net. But mm. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit kind of... Dubious in the way that he came out after the game, and I'll speak about it after. Have you got it on? Yeah, yeah, here it is, here it is. Let's hear now from uh, from Chris Wilder after his team had just lost 1-0 to, to Liverpool. Um, and, yet again, both both ends of the uh, of the pitch of Costas. Dean's, you know, uh, not made a routine save. And, you know, it absolutely... I, I, I crack up when, you know, ex-players say, well, you shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't chuck your players under the bus. Well, it's difficult to hide. I, when you're playing worldwide football in the Premier League, that your goalkeeper should make a save. And uh, Leon Clark should score, John Flake should score, John Lundstrom should score. Uh, and we've had another couple of opportunities. And uh, so I expect that. So there you have it. Um, it's not often you hear a manager really come out and, and single out players, especially a goalkeeper. Um, was he right to do that, do you think? I mean, is it an individual thing? Can a player take it? Can he not take it? Or, or was this just a, an angry manager ranting post-match? I didn't really think. I've seen a lot worse. I've seen a lot worse. And I think, honestly, in the dressing room, he would have said exactly the same thing. Um, the goalkeeper doesn't need to be told 
Mm. He made a mistake. He knows he made a mistake. Yeah. The players had opportunities to score. They know. They know that. Um, and you can't get away from it. And I think he's probably emphasized the fact that you're in the Premier League. This is a completely different animal than it was in the division below. Like, it, you know what it's like. I mean, you're completely gone from just local people knowing what you're doing and very small numbers of television watcher, uh, viewers to everything you do, 32 cameras, and you can't shy away from it. And I... I, th- I think he was a little bit miffed by the the, the question too, because he said, "How do you, you know? How do you? How did you console your players? Well, console your players? I don't. You know, what do you mean console my players? Everybody can see from watching the game that these things happened. Um, and I didn't think it was all that bad. I didn't think. I see. From my point of view, I believe that at the beginning of the year, or when a when a head coach comes in, he sets the standards for what's going to happen in the press and the media. And that, that goes two ways, for players to start speaking out in the media about tactics or what's going on on, on the training pitch. And I used to love playing for Peter Reid because whatever was said was in closed in the changing room. So he said, look, we're going to fall out with disagreements, opinions, but whatever said is in the confinements of the changing room here and it doesn't get out. So... Whatever needs to be said will be said, as you said, to the goalkeeper, Henderson, at the weekend, the players that missed their chances. I don't believe you need to go out into the press or to the media to put that message out again because, for me, that's just letting the fans and and the media know that, okay, I'm the boss and I'm going to tell everyone. It's it's kind of a little bit ancient with that. That that was old school football. But I suppose he's now owned the message now. Now it's out there. There's no point talking about it anymore. The goalkeeper knows he's screwed up. The fans know he's screwed up. The manager knows he's screwed up. And now, okay, done. Put a line under it. Let's move forward. Is that is that maybe part of what it is? Almost like closure? Okay, now I've dealt with it. Don't ask me about it anymore. Move on. Maybe, but the, so. the closure was in, in the changing room beforehand. You know, so the players... Would, the goalkeeper doesn't need to be told the mistake he made. You could see straight after the goal, he's put his hands on his head and he knows he made a massive mistake. Mm-hmm. The players that missed the chances, there was a glorious chance uh, late on, I think it was Robinson or someone that put the ball over the bar. He knows he missed that chance. Should he do better? Of course he does. And Wilder talks about it. Look, we're, we're players that want to play in the Premier League week in, week out. Mm-hmm. You have to put them chances away. You have to make that save. Yeah. But we saw Lloris make a terrible um, mistake in possession of the ball, but he pulls off two world-class saves to keep Spurs mm-hmm. in the game and winning three points yeah. with 10 men. Amazing so, yeah. saves. There's they? a yeah. balance yeah. there. I think, the, just, I think the, the Dean Henderson one was a, a worse mistake because it's a basic save. Yeah. Loris, he gets caught in possession on the ball. Yeah. That's just being you know, switched on. You, you've taken risks where you're not supposed to as a goalkeeper, and he knows all this better yeah. than anybody. He's a World yeah. Cup winner. But um, that's what that you put that down to. It's, it's not... It's just he thinks he was better with his feet than he. <laughs> and, and, well, and, and I mean, in, in Dean Henderson's case as well, this is a guy on loan from Manchester United. Yeah, you know, he's a very ambitious guy by all accounts. He thinks he can be very, very good, top, mm-hmm. one of the top keepers, you know, in his profession. So maybe this is a case of a manager who knows he's not there for the long term, saying, "I need to get most out of my keeper in the short term." You know, I can't have my goalkeeper on loan making mistakes like that. Mm. You know, so so pull your socks up, son. Well, that's that's true. I mean, he's uh, he's uh, you're not playing for fun anymore, and uh, mistakes like that, like again, are you're just uh, you're 
under the microscope like never before. Um, how he deals with that, it's uh, different um, than certainly a Ben Foster conceding eight. He's right. 34 years of age who has played 300, 400 games already. He's played for England. I think he can manage that mentally mm-hmm. uh, a lot better than than uh, Dean Henderson possibly could at his age. Um, but that will be interesting to see how he bounces back from that. And a lot of scouts and people at, at Manchester United, well, everybody will be looking at that too. Um, because, again, we talk about character as players as being one of the biggest uh, elements of the, the profession. Seeing some of the greatest goalkeepers technically in training, but they can't handle 30,000 people telling them that they're shite. Right, right, yeah, of course. You know, Well, it's a good so, point. I think we take that for granted as well. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think he mentions the worldwide Premier League in, in his comments there, right? And I think that's by design in many regards is a high-pressure environment. For you guys, you played many years at the top level of, of English football. Did it ever become overwhelming that, Christ, we're in the Premier League right now? You know, I've got the world's eyes right now watching me at the moment. Did it ever come, or was it just natural for you? You were fine with it. You could brush it off. Well, quite honestly... If you didn't enjoy it and enjoy the feelings of, you know, anxiety and nervousness, you know, approaching games, uh, you shouldn't be there. And you probably wouldn't be there, won't be there very long. You'll, you know, dip and whatever. But I actually loved it. I loved every second of it. And that was always my goal to, as, as players playing mm-hmm. and your kids, to, to reach that echelon, you know, to get in there. And as soon as I made my first appearance in 92 in the inaugural year, I would just, just, they can't take that away from me. I've, I've, right. I've played at the top level, and you just want to stay there. And, you, and people always said, What's, what game sort of stood out to you? And I was like, there wasn't one that stood out. Other than, well, there was one. Well, one or two. <laughs> but it's amazing you remember the bad ones. But, yeah, I know, it's you know, But overall, I mean, if I had the chance to go back and you know, concede nine at Man United, probably wouldn't want to do that, but seven. You yeah. know, just to get back at an Old Trafford again and walk out on that field you to also do got, it again. You also got results there too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, which you don't talk about. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> Went in the FA Cup nil uh, nil with John Lyle. There, we played without a striker. It was negative football, which uh, I remember Alex Ferguson wasn't happy with John because John Lyle coming from the you know Academy of Football at West Ham and Ron Greenwood and all these great managers in the past and how he liked to play, it was really quite negative from his standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> but we got a point. Yeah. Were you ever overwhelmed, Teach, or was it no? Just kind because of because I was thrown in at such a young age. You're not thinking about anything else. Where, yeah, fearless. Right, yeah, right. You're, you're fearless. You're not thinking about like your family or if things don't go right. You're not thinking about I've got a mortgage to pay if I don't perform right. You're you're, you're playing with so much freedom, and I, I wasn't even kind of aware of me being thrown in. Jerry Francis threw me in against Man City, who were flying high at the times, and then I made my Premier League debut uh, at home against Aston Villa, and I scored, and it was just a whirlwind of. Holy shit! I'm I'm really here. I'm playing. I've been out on loan to like Welling non-league. I've been on loan to Barnet, where they probably yeah. were assessing me to see if I was ready. Or you really don't know one, or well, you don't yeah, want to play. You don't want to play. So maybe that was a yeah. good platform for me to say, "All right, I've really got to yeah. discipline myself and, and myself yeah. off the field, on the field to to really push through and try and get in the first team." And I had some great leaders, experienced captains within the group. Ian Holloway, Les Ferdinand, guys like that that have been around for a long time, Ray Wilkins, and they, they, they brought me into the group and just said, look, play play with freedom, play, show your yeah. natural talent, and it was just a whirlwind of emotion. You, did, of you didn't have much. But... No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but, but, you had, but you had swagger, right? I mean, at that point, you know, to get to that point when you've been training with the first team, you mm. know, you must have had enormous confidence in yourself as well that I, I belong here. 
or, or was it ever? It wasn't so much yourself? that I belonged there. Like I, I remember one of my first training sessions where I, I got into the first team, and uh, it was Ian Holloway and Gary Penrice at the time pulled me aside, and I played in the reserves with with both of them, and they they knew of me. But the nervousness for a young player going into the first team is always difficult. But once you know a couple of players that you're going into. Uh, join it made it a little bit easier for me but both of them pulled me and said listen you haven't done jack shit the manager is not even going to look at you in training he's assessing his first team starting players so he says all you have to do is remember that whatever you've done so far you have to work twice as hard to consistently stay here and it was a good piece of advice for me because I think Mm -hmm. some young players now get into the first team picture and they suddenly open their shoulders a little bit. They start listening to everyone around them that you should have this sponsor, you should have this now, you're in the first team picture. Instead of really focusing on, I've got to work twice as fucking hard now to stay within this group. Right. And the head coach is not even looking at me yet. I'm, I'm basically just a training number. And if called upon for an injury or suspension, then I'm going to get my opportunity. So well, You even uh, mentioned about going to Welling. Yes, and non-league. You know, non-league. And a lot of people don't realize that too. I mean, in your road to try to get to the first team, it didn't just happen. Right. It, it wasn't an easy road. You A lot of times you have to take a step backward. I went to Colchester, yeah. which was in the fourth tier at that time. So as a you know 19-year-old uh, going down there and, and playing in the league, great experience. And you're playing, yeah. with, you're playing with guys that uh, are either journeyman or haven't made it to the top level yeah. and you're not 35 years of age yeah, and they've done nothing you're not playing play. for the reserves at West Ham or Ipswich or QPR where I was where you're playing with kind of similar guys around you you're playing with guys that are working week in week out to get win bonuses that the actual game at the weekend means something yeah. it's three points to yeah. And fifty pound bonus. And fifty pound bonus. So like <laughs> it was a perfect environment for me to to kind of learn my trade yeah. with older vets around me and playing against opponents that wanted to kick me six foot up in the air mm-hmm. thinking I was this flash boy from, from London skinny boy with long hair <laughs> yeah. we're going to actually show you what real football is lad yeah yeah. and it was as I said I don't think that experience is experienced enough for a lot of our younger players growing up A in this country in, in North America but also still back home in England where this under 23 league is kind of I wouldn't call it a, a posy league, but they're not getting the real experience of playing with players that need to fight for their spot, but also need to fight for points for their club and their community mm. week in, week out. Some clubs have a philosophy of sending a lot more players, young players on loan, right? Remember Harry yeah. Redknapp when he moves to Spurs? He was like, well, I'm going to play in a reserve league. I'll send them out to lower division Colchester, teams. Star, Colchester, Orient, right? Yeah. And can actually have a crowd and, mm-hmm. and experience the you know a little bit of the, the professional angle of things uh, that uh, really puts you in good uh, good stead later on. Yeah, no, it's interesting, and uh, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of this over the coming uh, weeks and months on, on this show, but it's a good segue into our next segment, which is uh, called Room 442. Generally speaking, we'll have a guest on at this point from uh, around the footballing world, but, but this week for the first show, uh, I thought I'd keep you boys around for, for this segment, and going from when you first started playing, uh, I think the viewers and listeners want to hear a little bit about your careers and how it ended. There's a bit of murkiness about both your careers, how they ended and when they ended and why and who told you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So let's get into that, that briefly before we move on here. Craig, let's start with you. Um, it was, you just won the Gold Cup in 2000, right? You were, you were playing high. Everything was great. National yeah. icon at that point. Even Christ Candle winning a medal, a trophy, something else. 
But yeah. then, of course, a year or so later, yeah. it all went pear-shaped. Yeah, I got uh, nut cancer, uh, testicular cancer. A little bit more technical. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the, uh, the actual the doctors. <laughs> no. By the way, great bad news. Yeah, you yeah. got nut cancer. I remember I was training actually, and uh, and uh, we the guy I was telling the guys I had to go to see the doctor because I got a lump, and uh, so off I went. And then literally within 24 hours, they they had uh, whipped it out. That uh, quick, very yeah. Fun. Oh yeah, wow. Literally went back to uh, hospital in the Ipswich area and. Uh, and they got it got it dealt with very very quickly. So then I went on to basically go away for the club for you know eight months or so like that. And I was in the last year of my contract. So uh, my agent um, Jonathan Barnett at the time, who's Gareth Bale's agent, so he's done all right there. Um, we were trying to get a two year extension as opposed to a one year. I was thirty four. You know, you, you try and push it a little bit, and and that was kind of in the negotiations. And then uh, that. Uh, went away obviously when I uh, went through uh, treatment and chemotherapy and then after that I went back and uh, John or sorry uh, Harry Redknapp had just left uh, Rhoda Glenn Rhoda had taken over and uh, when I came back to, to start regaining you know fitness again uh, the agent uh, Jonathan said well uh, just under the circumstances um, with a year we'll just take the year extension and Craig will prove his his fitness and they said the, the offer's been taken off the table. So, you know, that's the reality of football. And uh, well, Yeah, but at that point, how did you feel? Like betrayed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and the club weren't going to do anything to support in any way from that moment. And I had a lot of good help from uh, Stuart Pierce, um, Steve Lomas, John Moncur, Don Hutchison, some great guys at the club that sort of, forced the club to try to help me in, in some way, uh, which they did at that point from some of the player power. But uh, that was, uh, yeah, it wasn't the way I wanted to end. And, and then in the end, you're kind of forced into a forced retirement, even though I wasn't quite ready. I thought right. I could prove my fitness at 35. Again, um, nobody wanted to take you at that point because you're damaged goods. So no one really. even gave you a trial? Well... I wasn't I wasn't prepared to go at 35 back on trial to yeah, be honest right. and playing at the top end I was you know would have uh, tried to challenge that myself with that again but uh, that didn't look like a possibility so I I decided to uh, do TV which was uh, it's a lot easier yeah <laughs> a lot easier yeah a lot easier. but I mean I mean I think at some point we'll do a show dedicated to this topic in, entirely I think there's so mm. many layers to it right and it's a good topic too because there's a lot of players that we played with and uh, and have gone through really really tough times about the retirement side of things we sort of had something you know straight from you to yeah. fall back on and, and you know not have your abilical cord cut uh, to stay in the game and a reason to be involved and the TV did that so it was a nice transition from playing but a lot of guys you know hundreds of guys yeah. that are released every year Struggling. don't yeah. they struggle but, but you, yeah. you retired and it wasn't really on your terms I mean you, no. you were dealt a terrible blow and yeah. you think the game would have given you a break for Christ's sakes given you a chance I mean I mean, it's think, been 17 years now, Craig, but I mean, yeah. it's still got to be pretty painful, I would think, when you, when you look back and actually think about the details of those times. Well, sure, but on the other hand, I was just happy that I got through it and health-wise and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I would have got a two-year contract and I wouldn't be here anymore. Yeah, so right, that's, right, that's not going to do me any yeah. freaking good. 
Deech, you, so. you, you were tired when you came to TFC. No, sorry, uh, two years after you came to TFC. I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. Different era, but you... Nudge, nudge, yeah, good one. Good low blow there, Shams. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but in, in fairness, you know, and I don't say many nice things about you guys, I won't in this podcast, but you are no, still an icon at TFC, okay? And I remember when you first signed there, it's like, holy crap, Danny Dicchio, I remember him. Yeah. Pretty good player, right? <laughs> and, and he did really well in, in, in the two years, but towards the end of your career, you know, you missed more and more games with yes. a back injury, right? I think, wasn't it, mainly... Was it on your terms in the end when, when you stepped aside? No, not really. Um, I'd had two back operations in, in my career. Uh, the first one was a major one, and the second one was kind of a clean-up. But as a tall six-foot-four player travelling a lot in North America, which you, you uh, unfortunately have to do, um, things started to deteriorate with, with my just my personal health as well and being able to perform week in week out um the the coach at the time thought that I, I couldn't travel to the west coast for certain games where I, I I thought I was able to and we kind of fell out over that um and then it was on I think it was in 2009 we were away in Colorado and and Mo Johnson pulled me and he said listen um we need to free up a, a roster spot um have you thought about retiring? And I'd already spoken about that this was going to be my last year in 09. The club knew that I was completing my coaching badges. I'd already done my UEFA B in, in England and I'd started to do my USSF uh, A and B. So uh, they, he basically comes to me in the middle of the season when we were in Colorado and said, look, we've got Julian de Guzman coming in as a, as a designated player that we, we have to free up um, a roster spot. It was nothing to do with money or anything because it wasn't even close to being a DP player um, so I had to think about it very very quickly because they needed a decision made by by that Sunday and it was Saturday in Colorado and that was basically going into that game thinking this is going to be my last ever game as a football player so that was pretty emotional for me at the yeah. time it was emotional as well because I didn't get to play uh, a home game in front of the, the Toronto FC fans which uh, obviously I had a, a really good relationship with so it was kind of unfortunate the way my, my career fizzled out because I would love to have played at home but I also look back on things as well and I had many good instances in in, in my career at, whether it be at Toronto FC whether it be at Preston where I kind of here was it I mean all things said and done, it's a, it's a long career in professional yes, sports. Which, it was a long career. Yeah, so. And we, we both were very fortunate in right. having long careers. Some players have injuries or, or some kind of health problems where they, they don't get to see out their career. So very fortunate in in that. But I would have liked to have, to have finished in, in a different way. Uh, I really would. But uh, I can't say enough how much the club has, have helped me and my family settled here in Canada. They they offered me the position as coaching with the first team as an assistant. Then they knew I wanted to look after my own team, and they said you're, you're a big part of of the younger players and how they look up to you at the club. So would you like to work in the academy? I said that that works perfectly with me. So yes, upset at the time, but I got over it pretty quickly, and it was actually pretty recently. Uh, I think it was like literally 10 years ago to the day that I retired. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so. We should do a whole show wow. on, on the Mo Johnston era, is it? 
era TSC. That would be, be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be, that would be But I guess very few footballers really retire really on their terms because this is something you've only known yeah. this your whole life pretty much. Yeah. And you're, Never playing, a great you're playing time. football. I understand the pressures, but my God, that's a pretty sweet, yeah. sweet life, right? It's, it's harder in the transition than it is actually the moment. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Do I want to stay in the game? Do I want to get into coaching? Do I want to get into broadcasting? And yeah. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of decisions to make that are uh, kind of scary at that time. But I mean, blessed, really fortunate. So, well, I've certainly enjoyed my retirement so far. Yeah, <laughs> it's been great summer. Hey? If you're going to get laid off, right, do it early in the summer because <laughs> it's been fantastic. You know, I've got a tan like Dickio right now. It's it's, uh, it's yeah. great. Yeah. The, the patio, uh, the patios of Toronto have been loving Sean's yeah, retirement. Yeah. I'm just very happy that the, the missus earns. <laughs> Otherwise we'll be in trouble. Um, okay, listen, let's move on now. Um, we're almost at the end of the, the first show here, fellas, but we're going to mm. s- have a little segment here what we'll do each week called The Big Question. He might sound familiar to a show, a segment we had uh, for a couple of years in our Premier League coverage at Sportsnet. But this time, we you know, looking ahead, looking forward to the week that's going to come here, is there one question that, that you want answering in the next few days? Uh, let's start with you, Deej. What's your big question this week? I think after yesterday's game, Newcastle's performance against Leicester, um, my big question is, does Steve Bruce last till Christmas? The fans were not happy with him, with his appointment. I'm listening to Sam Allardyce this morning on Talk Sport in England saying that he was approached to take the job, but he didn't feel it was right. He feels that Steve Bruce was the right guy, a local guy, taking over from Rafa Benitez. But boy, oh boy, things are not looking good at the moment. And the way they surrendered yesterday, yesterday they had a red card, but... Oh, uh, God, it, it, was, it was over. It you was, could tell yeah, there was no for coming me, back. It's, it's just kind of negative football at the moment. And they've got some exciting players going forwards, but the way... Uh, set up to to play games tactically it's just very very negatively and I go back to the Keegan days where he's the messiah back there and Bobby Robson they played attacking football where they conceded goals yes sometimes Keegan said look if we're going to win games we're going to win it by scoring goals if we have to win 4-3 we have to win 4-3 but the punters and everyone will go home happy and the players will enjoy playing for me mm. and I just feel that at the moment like even with Benitez at times they were negative but they were proactive in getting results where at this moment I'm looking at the way they're set up they're so negative with their approach and they don't even look like scoring at the moment and you, you have players like Almiron in the team um, they have exciting players going forward but they, but just... they lose you know Perez and they lose uh, Rondon I mean yeah. for God's sakes that's, that's a lot of goals from last season gone mm-hmm. from the team I mean well, they spent that, a lot of money that, on the Brazilian player yeah, as well, Joe Lilton, Joe Lilton who, yeah. who's struggling at the moment to to, to be effective. Mm-hmm. But are we really blaming him or are we blaming, blaming yeah. the tactics? We, we don't well, know what's going always on. Always been something around Newcastle, isn't there? Yeah. Always. You're talking yeah. about the ownership, you the feel, managers. It's been 10 years now with Dashie now, right? Almost. Yeah. Almost 10 years. I mean, yeah. and, and they hate him up there. Yeah. But that performance, 5 0 to, uh, admittedly, a really good Leicester team, yeah. was embarrassing yesterday. Yeah. So is uh, Brendan Rodgers a. Done well. Has he ever? Good manager. So really do you think Bruce good. lost till Christmas? No. No? No. I don't. Well, I don't see you well. Is a club going to be sold before Christmas? Well, Maybe that's the bigger about question that right for now. Two, three years I as know. Well. I, I think know. the fans would be happy. But with Steve that. Bruce comes in, what, two or three weeks before the season begins? You miss essentially pre season. Yeah, what the sure. hell can the guy do? Right? I mean, he took the job. He didn't have to. But I mean, he's going yeah. to hide into nothing, isn't he? Really? Yeah. Good thing they had that Spurs result. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, 
Craig, uh, what's your big question? Will Liverpool win the league? Hmm. What do you <laughs> in think, next, in, in the next week? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Actually, we've got uh, one of our, our, our listeners, viewers, uh, sent, a, sent a tweet. Um, he asked, uh, how many trophies will Liverpool finish with this season? And is Jordan Henderson the greatest captain in Premier League history? No, he's not. He's the second best because Steven Gerrard was the best. Um, and they'll win four trophies. There's your answer there. Uh, that's a, Hold on. That's a Scotty. How are they going to win Burnsome. four trophies if they're getting kicked out of the Carabao Yeah, I top? know. Good point, actually. Huh? Is that a good thing or a bad thing, though? Yeah, so, so, so essentially, if you haven't heard it, they, they could be kicked out for fielding an, an ineligible player yeah. in the last round. Yeah. Uh, they thought he had an international uh, license. They Turns out care. he didn't. They, they don't, don't care, care, right? The only thing they would care about is it's an opportunity for some up-and-coming players to play in that in that cup which is great yeah. experience for which them. most clubs use it for now right, but yeah, I, yeah. I really think Liverpool are going to go for the league title this year they, they've ticked off the Champions League box Klopp's finally won that trophy after trying to win it for so many years mm-hmm. with either Dortmund or Liverpool I just think they're going to go but never write off Man City I'm yeah. telling you I never know. write yeah. off Man City they could win 30 in a row yeah, yeah they, they could I, I you know, I'm happy to admit my allegiance to Liverpool, of course. Most people probably know that by now. I don't hide it. And uh, <laughs> this is as good as we'll ever see them, perhaps. I it's still amazing. think City, with their depth, might just be enough. I know it's five yeah. points right now, but it's a long season. Yeah. Right? So much you can know, happen. Cl- i got to say, Klopp has done an amazing job. And so has Pep uh, you know, in Manchester. But see what Klopp's done and, and how he's put that team together. And they've spent a lot of money on a couple of individuals that have just made the team... You know, brilliant. I believe this is the last year that we're going to see a fight between Man City and Liverpool because rumours coming out of of England yesterday is that this is Pep's last year at Man City. I also feel that if mm. Liverpool don't win the title this year, I think there could be some movement from some players because they're being touted by the likes of uh, Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona, Mane, Salah. So I think they need to win the title oh I hate year. that man I know you're probably right but I just hate that whole thing in modern football yeah. I haven't won here I'm going to move on how about you bloody fight for a trophy stick with it show some goddamn loyalty for crying out loud <laughs> loyalty what, what I would uh, say though when am you I look, talking about football here when yeah. you look at the Liverpool team and the Man City team like uh, I read an article this week um, about Jurgen Klopp and the way he his, his style his philosophy and the way he, he kind of takes results on the chin whether they win or lose he's always got a smile on his face and the way he, he thinks of his players as well, how like they've been through so much hardship and his growing up in Germany compared to the likes of, of Mane and Salah and what they've got from Mino in getting to where they are today. So you can really see the way these players play for Liverpool Football Club is all stemmed from the way the manager approaches. Yep. The, the, yeah. his, his team management is fantastic. Amazing. His passion for the game is fantastic as well. Mm. And it's, in correspondence to the way the City players play for Pep, they know that he's a genius with not only his tactical approach, but the way he handles certain situations. Yeah. But I just feel it's going to be uh, another fantastic race. Uh, what, they won seven on the bounce now, Liverpool? Yeah. Uh, they're yeah. trying to go for yeah. Mourinho's record at Chelsea of nine on the bounce. I think they can the start do that. A season. They, they the start a, season, yes. A bunch last season as well, right? Yeah. I think it's a 16 now. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, my, my big question <clears throat> is, uh, this week the Maradona documentary comes out. Mm, HBO. Looking forward to it, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I just want to know, will it be the greatest sports doc of all time? Because people are saying it is. Now, um, the guy who, who produced, uh, directed Asif Gaddafi, did Amy Winehouse's, he's a fantastic director. I'm really excited about this. And will it paint Maradona in the right light? 
what that light is. Be you decide. <laughs> yeah. There's been some good documentaries. George Best documentary was very fantastic. Good yeah, 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 brilliant. I love good sports doc. Me, I will yeah. still never ever forgive Diego Maradona. Scumbag. He made me cry like <laughs> for a that reason, baby, for a long, long time. Yep. And I will still never ever forgive. Imagine him. if VAR was around then, Deech. We could have won We'd the World, World Cup, Cup that year. Winners. Yeah, of course, but not, 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 not the previous one, though. No, not the previous one. <laughs> no. All right, it crossed the line, damn it. All right, fellas, we're out of time. We've gone heavy as it is. Um, we, we thank you for listening, and assuming people are listening and watching, maybe no one is. No. Maybe it's just us. It's nice yeah. having a Which chat. It's, it's nice. It's good it's to be good back. seeing you guys again. It really is, yeah. 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 We'll do it every Monday. Um, 30 underscore prime is the Twitter mm-hmm. address. Find us on Facebook mm-hmm. as well. Um, YouTube. Um, more and more platforms as time goes on. It's a work in progress. Um, we will be having also, this is exciting, um, we're hoping maybe once a month to do a live podcast from Betty's, which is uh, one of my favorite bars in, in Toronto here. Um, more details will come as as we finalize them. But uh, Sorry, what's that, Dan? Eggplant picture and sandwich. Yeah, I was getting to that. I was getting to that, for Christ's sakes. Jesus, that's Dan Wong, by the way. Thank you. For, from we, Eggplant. From Eggplant <laughs> picture and sound. Who, who, who. But they have made this whole thing possible. So direct your, your mm-hmm. anger at them. <laughs> Not so yeah. much us. But, uh, yeah, listen, this, this will start small and hopefully get large and, and big. But, fellas, it's been, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been discussing this for probably a couple of years, right? Yeah. I think. And now it's come oh, yeah. to uh, to reality. So uh, there'll be more and more segments as the weeks and months go on, including hearing from you, the listener, the viewer. Yeah. Uh, we want to appease the scum, basically, and give you a, a chance to, to mouth You're off nice, your opinions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to call your viewers. <laughs> 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 All right, fellas. I uh, hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Thanks, everybody. And uh, Craig, Danny, Dan, cheers for joining me today. And cheers for listening, everyone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.